All right. Good morning, 1130. How we doing? We also have seats over here. <laughs> anyway, good to see you guys. Uh, I am back from vacation. I heard Ricky did an amazing job last week. I actually got to listen to some of his sermon. And you guys are thankful for Pastor Ricky. Yeah, I did get back from a vacation. Uh, we were without children, which makes it a vacation. Otherwise, it would have been a family trip. And uh, there's a big difference between those. And so we, we did. We went on a cruise. So here's the deal. If you've never been on a cruise before, you are missing out. I just want to encourage you. It is worth budgeting, saving, doing what you need to do to be able to go on a cruise. Because here's the deal. The thing about a cruise is once you get there, you don't have to plan anything. You can do as much or as little as you want to. They're awesome. You can eat 24 hours a day. You can watch shows. There's ports. You can get off. You don't have to get off. It's awesome. Uh, Five-day cruise, not long enough. Got to go on longer cruises than what we went on, but, but it was still awesome. Uh, we went to... We don't always necessarily care about the ports because we like being on the ship so much. We like at sea days more than anything, honestly. But uh, we went to a couple of ports. I wasn't sure how this is going to work out because we went to Haiti, which is a place I've gone on like missions trips to. I'm like, I'm, I'm having a hard time seeing where in Haiti it's going to be awesome to get off the ship. But uh, Royal Caribbean actually purchased this like peninsula on the north end of the country where they created like this private beach area and they employ a lot of the Haitians there, which is cool because it stimulates the economy. And so we went there and that was cool. But, and then we went to Jamaica. And I'd never been to Jamaica before. It was really cool though. Everyone there was super relaxed. <laughs> Just really, really chill. And <laughs> I felt really relaxed too, honestly. Uh, I thought it was like a stereotype. But no kidding, there is so much pot smoke in the air. Like, I feel like I need to confess that your pastor might have gotten a little bit. But I did not inhale. Let's make sure that's clear. No, but it was crazy because... Everybody was just like, I had never connected with Bob Marley until now. Like, I get it now. I understand why every single one of his songs is just so laid back, you know, so chill. And so everyone was super chill, hungry, but chill, you know. And uh, so we, we, we were walking into the city and uh, Cody and I were always up for an adventure. And we were walking and after a while we realized we weren't seeing any buddy that was on the cruise ship around us anymore. Like it was all just locals. And, uh, and so we're just walking down the street and we, this lady was walking down the sidewalk coming the other way. She didn't look at us. She didn't stop. But as we're passing, she just simply said, there's a lot of crime that way. And we're like, oh, <laughs> no problem, man. <laughs> you know, just like, so we just turned around and walked back, got back on the ship and Try to order Doritos. We just were really hungry for Doritos. I don't know why, but uh, no, we had, a, we had a good time. Good to be back though. This morning, the title of the sermon is Get Jesus in Your Boat. And uh, what I wanna talk about are principles around what it takes to get the supernatural active in your life. If you wanna see miracles, you wanna see God moving in a supernatural way, these are key ingredients, I think, to having that happen. Because if we're all honest, at one point or another, we're going to need a miracle in our life. 
there's some of you, you've, you've had that already happen. You've seen that in the past. Some of you know that God has shown up in supernatural ways in your life. So whether it's already happened or not, at one point or another, you're gonna need the supernatural. You're gonna need a miracle when you get a bad report from a doctor. You're gonna need a miracle when you have a kid that's struggling and having a difficult time in life. You're, you're gonna need a miracle when it feels like there's no hope for your marriage. Uh, you're gonna need a miracle when your finances tank and you don't know where you're gonna get the next meal, the next tank of gas for your car. Uh, there's times you're just gonna need miracles. If you're raising a daughter at one point or another, that daughter's gonna come to you and say, I'm in love with a boy and he's an Alabama fan. You're gonna need a miracle at that point, <laughs> supernatural intervention. If you're raising or if you own a teenager, you need miracles almost weekly, I guarantee you. Uh, the other day I was realizing that just in a few years, we're gonna have four teenagers in our home at the same time, four. So I don't even know if this is a real thing or not, but I've already begun praying that God would give us a reservoir of miracles, just like a standby reservoir of miracles that, that, that when that season comes, we can just make withdrawals from that because Lord knows four teenagers in the house, we are gonna need some supernatural intervention from the Lord so that they can remain living. Uh, and so at one point or another, all of us need God to show up in a supernatural way. What I love about the Bible is, is it shows God doing miracles and doing supernatural things for ordinary people over and over and over again. A lot of times people think, well, miracles are reserved for super spiritual, super, super godly people that are just connected. And a lot of people think that's a misconception they have about pastors. Maybe even some of you think that because I'm a pastor, somehow I have this line that connects me with God that gets me more access to all of his miracles than any of you. But the truth is this, I have to pray just as hard, have just as much desperation and faith to receive supernatural things from God as anyone else. Uh, I, I do. The, the exception is I do feel like I have a little bit of supernatural favor when it comes to praying for good weather. I don't know why, but like over the course of my life, there's been times like when I lived in Colorado, we're in a drought. I prayed, God, let it rain. It hadn't rained for several days. It rained that afternoon. Uh, our wedding day, it was forecast. It was gonna rain the whole week. It was gonna be thunderstorms the day of our wedding. I'm praying. I'm like, God, please let there to be good weather for our wedding uh, because I really want my wife to be in a good mood tonight. And, um, and uh, I don't know why you're laughing. You all want your wife to be in a good mood, I would assume. But... Uh, but anyway, so I prayed and sure enough, like that evening around our wedding, around the ceremony, it was literally raining on all sides of us, but right where our wedding was, out, it was an outdoor wedding, right where our wedding was, no rain. Like, like literally the clouds had opened up right there, sun was shining through, it was awesome. And so what I'm saying is this, if you need prayer for people in your life, it's a toss up. But if you need a, just a nice pretty day sometime in your life, I might have your back. I might be able to help you out. Like you need supernatural healing for your like physical body. I don't know. It's like, mm, you probably have more of a chance than I do. But if you just need a pretty day to play some golf, I could be able to help you out. I'll pray for that. But, but, but the truth is this, in order to get the supernatural activated in your life, I think all of us really need basically the same things. And that's what I wanna talk about today because in Luke 5, there's one of these miracles, one of these stories where the people involved 
had come to the end of themselves. It was clear that they didn't have what it took in the natural. Didn't have, they didn't have what it took in the situation or circumstance to make something happen. They needed God to show up. They needed a supernatural move from God. And I know that all of us have been in a place where we've needed God to tip the scales in our favor by doing something supernatural. I believe that God wants to do miracles. I believe that God wants to do miracles. I just think that a lot of times we put the box around what the miracle needs to look like and the time that it needs to happen. But the truth is I've seen supernatural things happen around me all the time. God is constantly raising things from the dead. I've seen him raise marriages from the dead. I've seen him raise dreams from the dead. I've seen him raise purpose and calling from the dead. I've seen him raise things from the dead all the time. Supernatural things, things that only God can make these things happen. I've seen it. I know that he wants to do that. But I think a lot of times we put the context around it. We're the ones that honestly, even unintentionally, we're the ones to create parameters that keep God's supernatural power from being able to operate in our lives. So in this story, let me give you some context. There's four of the 12 disciples were fishermen and they're actually business partners, Peter, James, John, and Andrew. And these four guys had just pulled an all-nighter fishing. They're professional fishermen. They spent the whole night fishing together and they caught nothing, okay? Now, there's other places around the world third world and developing nations where this still happens. And, and it's essentially just a day-to-day -day living. Like what you do in that day helps you get what you need for that day. And especially in coastal regions, in, in Central and South America and places I've been to like that, what'll happen is around the evening, the men will leave and they will go and they'll fish for a majority of the night. And the results of that fishing will depend on whether or not their family can eat and if they have any extra fish that they can sell to make any kind of a profit. And they just live that way. That's like every day. And in a lot of cultures around the world, that's how they live. They live day to day to get what they need. There's a part of me that wishes that our culture functioned more like this, because if we had to live day to day for what we need, I think we'd have a lot more dependency on God for what we need. But a lot of people, they still live this way, but because these guys, this is the way they were living, to not catch any fish is a bad deal. Because it meant that their families weren't gonna get to eat. It also meant they didn't have any extra fish to sell. So there's no profit. So it puts them in a tough spot. So they're discouraged, they're depressed, they're just sitting on the shore and they're fixing and mending their and washing their nets. But Jesus shows up, a crowd of people, and he's speaking and signs and wonders are following him. He begins to communicate and he's pushed right up to the edge of the water. And this is what it says in chapter five, starting in verse one. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Genesaret, which is also the Sea of Galilee, with the people crowding in around him and listening to the word of God, he saw the, at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. 
And so there's so much that's happening like this, right here because Jesus is actually addressing multiple needs at one time. I love that about Jesus. There's, he's never confused or, or unaware of, of all the needs that are surrounding him. And he's able to meet needs, multiple needs at one time. Uh, but one of the needs that was happening is because the crowd was so thick, there's so many people there, he's getting pushed up to the water's edge. And because he is the creator, he knows how creation works. He understands acoustics. And he knows if he can just get a little bit of distance between him and the shore, he can use the, 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 the sound reflecting off the water. That's why he's sitting low. If he sits low, he can use the water as an amplifier to be able to reach the whole crowd. If you've ever been out to a body of water, as long as there's not a lot of wind or other noise, it's amazing. You can hear sound carry across water more clearly than almost anywhere else. So he understands that. So he's addressing that because there's a thick group of people and sound is absorbed by soft tissue. By the way, you're soft tissue. So you absorb sound even in this room. The more people we have in here, the more that it suppresses the sound. And so he understands that. So he's got to get away from the people because he now has the water. Everyone's able to hear, but he's not just addressing that. The most important thing he's getting ready to address is the purpose and faith that is inside of Peter. Because he understands exactly what happened to Peter the night before. I would surmise that he probably made that happen. I think he probably set it up to where these guys didn't catch any fish because he's trying to draw something out of Peter that all, honestly, all of us need to understand. Peter says, we've been up all night. We've caught nothing. Have you ever been there? You ever been to that place where you feel like you have done everything you can in the natural? You've given the best of your strength, your knowledge, your gifting, everything that you know how to do, and it is still not enough. You fall short in your job, your career, marriage, school, whatever it might be, and you're just at a place where you are desperate to catch a sale, to catch your boss's attention, to catch a break of any kind. And this is where Peter is. And because he wasn't seeing any of those things, we can all be in the same place. He's not sensing blessing. There's no change. There's no breakthrough. It's just empty. It goes on in verse six and it says, when they had done so, when they put out their nets, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to the partners in the other boat to come and help them. There's so much symbolism in this. I love it. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all the companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. So basically they were able to catch more in 10 minutes with Jesus than they were able to catch on their own in 10 hours because Jesus got in the boat with them. It's amazing how quickly Jesus can make up a difference in your life. This big gap, this huge need in a moment. Some principles I think we can learn from this. First of all, I need to give Jesus total access to my life. Total access to my life. The first principle is Jesus needs everywhere access to your life. When we got on the cruise ship, I kept seeing these doors and hatches and stuff that said crew only, crew only, crew only. I'm like, I don't like that. 
I don't know about you, but I'm in a building and it says no access, employees only, that kind of stuff. I'm like, what is behind that door they're trying to hide from me? Like what amazing, awesome thing is back there that they just don't want me to see. So even on the cruise ship, I started walking through some of those doors. Wasn't a good thing. They started threatening security and you'll get thrown off the boat. And Cody was all embarrassed. And so I had to stop, but I'm just interested because it feels like some of the best things in life are just beyond those places that say, you can't go there. If we're honest, some of the best fishing you can ever experience in your life is just on the other side of a no trespassing sign. It's good fishing because nobody fishes there because they don't let anybody fish there. But, but that's why it makes it so awesome. I think it's also to take good to take into consideration that many times the reason why people have so many no trespassing signs on their property is because they've gotten tired of hiding all the bodies. And so they just want to make it clear up front, like, just don't come over here. Okay, we, it's usually not a good thing. And some of those no trespassing places, they are freaky. Like you go in there, all of a sudden you start hearing banjo music. You just, need to, you just need to turn around and get out of there. But I think unfortunately what happens is sometimes in our life, we put up no trespassing signs to the spirit of God. I think there's times in our lives where it's like, yes, have access here, but over here, sorry, no trespassing. I don't know where that is in your life. Some people put no trespassing signs up to God when it comes to their calendar, their schedule, their kids, their relationships, their finances, their abilities, their gifts. Yeah, you can come in here, come in, do anything. Oh, nope, sorry. My desires only. What I want only. No access. No access. I've had people come to me before. Why is it that in the Bible, they'll ask, why is it in the Bible? You see all these miracles, but in my life and in our culture, we just never see miracles. Well, I think the key in that phrase may be the in our culture. Because when I go to other countries around the world, especially in developing third world nations, poor countries, I see the supernatural all the time. I've seen people get healed physically. I've seen this stuff happen in other countries. Why? Because in so many of those countries, God is all they have. And because God is all they have, God has total access to everything that they have. And maybe the reason why we don't see as many miracles and supernatural things happen in our culture is because we have a lot more things than just God that become our gods. We have a lot more things that supply our needs a lot more things that we think bring fulfillment. And maybe those things just keep God from being able to move because we're not desperate enough to see him move because we have so much of our desperation fed by momentary things. I think that that could be the case. There's areas he just doesn't have access. Verse three, it says this, he got into the boat. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. This is total access. This is total access. And this is, not, this is unconditional access. It's not like, hey, you can sit there in the boat, but you want me to push out now? Like that's, that's more work. 
This is unconditional access. And this is a pretty simple starting point, but it has to start there. You've got to get Jesus in the boat. What changed? What was the dynamic that changed in the boat? The simple answer is the who. And the, and the fact of the matter is now it's, it's daytime. This isn't even the best time of day to be fishing. The situation, the circumstance, the emotions surrounding of it, none of it made sense. But all of a sudden, just simply getting access to Jesus and getting in the boat changes everything. And I think it has to start there. Giving him total access to your life. So what does that mean for some of you? Honestly, that means salvation. It has to start with you saying, you have access to my heart. Full access to everything that I am and everything that I'm not. So all the good and certainly even the bad, I'm gonna give you complete and total access to I am. For Peter and for so many of us, this represents his career. And Jesus is saying, like, I wanna use your career as a platform for ministry. I want you to be my missionary. I'm just going to disguise you as a fisherman, mechanic, manager, store owner, coach, dentist, teacher, nurse, stay-at-home mom, stay-at-home dad. I want to use you. Could be your career. It could just be your home. It could be your living room. Does he have access? It could even be your hobbies. It could be your hobbies. Like, I see that a lot. I see where God will have total access in so many of the other places of people's lives. But when it comes to their hobbies, like, no, that, God, you don't get to touch that. That's my hobby. It's for me. It's what I do. (laughs) I think you'd be surprised at how much more enjoyable your hobby might be and how much more fulfilling it might be if you actually said, God, how would you want to use my hobby? I want to invite you into this. Giving them access. One of the things that I've learned is whatever you allow God to access, he blesses that. Whatever you restrict access to, you're on your own. And honestly, that's a major drag. (laughs) Nothing that isn't touched by God is ever that fulfilling. Number two, I must admit that my efforts are just not working. And this is just a principle of being humble. Verses four through five. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out to deep water and let down your nets to catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. I can't imagine how hard this was to say because Peter was a pro. This is how he makes his living. Like I like to consider myself a little bit of a fisherman, right? But when I go fishing, the thing I hate more than anything is getting skunked. Like, I don't have to catch a bunch of fish. I don't have to catch the biggest fish, but I better catch something. Like, I don't care if it's just a little tiny brim. I just don't want to get skunked. And this is a professional fisherman fishing with nets. And he caught nothing. This would be like Michael Jordan not making a basket during a game. That would never happen to Michael Jordan. It could happen at some point to LeBron James, but it would never have happened to Michael Jordan because Michael Jordan was the greatest and will ever be the greatest basketball player that ever lived. Somebody just got really excited about that. (laughs) It's the closest they ever got to saying amen in church. 
Where the heck was I? Oh, there I am. It takes humility to admit that everything that you have just isn't enough. That all your best efforts, it's just not enough. And the truth is, I think this is a prerequisite to experiencing the supernatural things of God. You, you have to be willing to say, I don't have it. I can't do this. If you're raising kids at one point or another, you're gonna try to teach them to do something. One of the things I've noticed is when I'm trying to teach my kids to do something, because of their personality, there's many times when they just, they just cannot get to the place where they admit that they just, they, it's, it's on them. Like they're the ones that are having a difficult time. Like if you've ever tried to teach your kids sports, okay? If you're ever trying to teach your kids any kind of sport, and you, it doesn't matter how much knowledge you have, at one point or another, they're gonna say that it's because of you that they're not as good at that sport as they could be. So like a while back, I took uh, my son Reeves. He, he, we, we like playing catch with the football, but he wanted to go and run some routes. He wants to start learning how to catch on the run. I'm like, okay, cool. So I taught him a couple basic routes. And, and here's the deal. Like, I'm not a quarterback by any chance, but I, I was putting the ball where it was supposed to be, okay? And he was hitting him in the hands. He just couldn't bring it in. He just kept dropping the ball. But he was getting so mad and frustrated. And when he gets mad and frustrated, he starts doing this grunt thing. He's like, uh, uh, I don't know where he gets it. Probably from his mom. It's the Irish in him. I don't know what it is. But he's just like mad and frustrated that he can't get this. And he's just so, uh. and then he starts saying, dad, you're not throwing it right. You're not throwing it. You're throwing it too hard. It's not here. You got to get it right here. And then he just kept going on. I said, Reed, stop. You will never be a great receiver as long as it's my fault that you're not catching the ball. And that is a life principle. You will never be able to reach the full potential of everything God has for you and get his supernatural hand on you until you're willing to take personal responsibility for the fact that you just don't always have it. And as long as you keep saying that it's someone else, it's someone else's fault, that is called a victim mentality. And it comes straight from the pit of hell. And the enemy loves for you to camp out there because as long as you camp out there, you won't experience everything God has for you. But as soon as you can say, you're right, everything and all my best effort and all my knowledge and understanding and giftedness and everything else and success is just not enough. Teach me. Make me better. Because until you can get to that point where you say, I don't have it, help me get better. When you're not teachable, you're prideful. And when you're prideful, God opposes it. And that's the reason why we get in this place where we can't admit, I just don't, with all my best efforts, it's just not enough. It's because of pride. And sometimes it's just because of stubbornness. It's because of an unwillingness to do something different than you've always done it. And I've seen so many businesses and marriages and even churches go belly up simply because the people involved were not willing to change what they'd always done. I just wanna let you know, we don't work that way as a church. I heard a pastor say it this way, the only thing here that is here to stay is change. <laughs> That's just the way we're gonna be as a church. We will always be willing to change and learn and grow to continue to be effective to reach people for the kingdom of God. If you like things to always stay the same, 
you're gonna hate this church because we're gonna always be changing stuff because if we don't change things, we won't stay in step with the spirit because the spirit is always moving according to what souls need. And souls are individually created by God so they don't remain stagnant. They're always changing, which means we've gotta change our methods, never the message, but always the method. We gotta be willing to change it so we can effectively reach people. So we're always gonna be changing around here. But a lot of times the reason why we don't experience the supernatural things of God is because there's an area of our life that God doesn't have access to, and we're not humble enough to say it. And with all my best intentions, with all my effort, I just don't add up. Teach me, God. We've got to be willing to be humble if we're going to experience the supernatural things of God. I must obey whatever Jesus tells me to do. That's the third point. I must obey whatever Jesus tells me to do. But I'd also add whenever he tells me to do it. It's not just the what, it's the when. Because if there's one thing that I've learned is the opportunity of a lifetime must be captured in the lifetime of that opportunity. And sometimes a lifetime of an opportunity is short. That's why one, our, one of our core verses as a church and one of my favorite verses is Ephesians 5, 15 and 16. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. In the Greek, that word means favorable moment. Why? Because it's a moment. It comes and it goes. And you've got to walk in a place of obedience, unconditional obedience, if you want to seize those moments and seize those opportunities as God presents them. I know so many people, like God gave them a word, gave them direction, but they vacillated and they procrastinated and then it passed them by. And then it landed on someone else. And then the person that missed it is so bummed out and many times embittered and jealous because there's an opportunity, but it's in a moment. And, and here's what I would say with this, like Peter finally got this right. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and have caught, we've caught nothing. We haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will put down the nets. Because you say so. Not because it's logical, not because it's popular, not because it's convenient, but simply because you say so. If we went up to the Red River and we booked a fly fishing guide and then we all got together and as soon as we got on the river, out on the boat, I said, okay, uh, today this is where we're gonna fish and this is what we're gonna fish with. And the guy's like, I've grown up on the river my whole life. I'm a fly fishing guide. And I was like, that's cute. But today, we're gonna go fish here and we're gonna use this to fish with. That is essentially what Jesus is doing in this situation. He comes to Peter. Not only is Jesus using the boat, he's giving out fishing lessons. This would be like Jesus showing up into your place of work, into your business, that you have intimate, detailed information and knowledge of all the inner workings, and him start telling you how to run your business, how to do your job. So I've got to give props to Peter on this. He messed it up so many times in his life, but this time he gets it right because he doesn't argue. There's no real attitude here because he could have said, hey, Carpenter Jesus, you're great at doing all the wood whittling and all those things. 
I am a professional fisherman. Why don't you worry about your woodworking and leave the fishing to the fishermen? But he said, because you said so. If you want to get the supernatural hand of God working in your life, you have got to become a because you said so person. Just because you said so. So often we let culture, we let, even what social media dictates is the thumbs up and the heart dictate whether or not we're doing the things that we should be doing. Like it's one thing to post something knowing what all the response is gonna be. It's another thing when you're living in a place of, fo- of faith that you post something that doesn't make sense, that isn't logical, that doesn't seem to have the right timing and everybody's like, what? Why would you do that? Because he said so. Just because he said so, it doesn't make sense. It's because he said so. This is unquestioned obedience. A while back, Cody and I had gotten into a fight and into an argument. I know it's hard for you to believe that your pastor and his wife would ever fight or argue. I know that's hard. Truth is, we, we do, we fight. We have strong personalities. So it's passionate when we fight. Like we, not, it's like, I mean, raised voices and everything, okay? We avoid cussing for the most part, but there is some fighting that is happening. Then a while back, we had had a fight and, and we had, had to part ways before we had it resolved. And so uh, later on in that day, I, I felt something was telling me like that I needed to text her and just be sweet and apologize. So I immediately began to pray. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus, Satan. Get thee behind me. She needs to submit and make me a sandwich. (laughs) So I was clearly stupid. And uh, the Holy Spirit didn't give up. And so I did. I just texted her, baby, I'm sorry. I love you. We're on the same team. I'm glad we're friends. This is, I know this is what I need to own. This is where I made the mistake, whatever. And sent it, got a text back, emojis, hard eye, kissy, kissy. And that day went from stone cold to white hot. It was awesome. But I didn't feel like sending the text. In my head, I probably even felt like logically, no, I am right. But because he said so, it helped me get back in the blessing. It helped me get back in the grace, the peace, the rest, because he said so. What is it that God has told you to do that you're not doing? Maybe it's just get your relationship right with him. You justify and make excuses. But he said so. Maybe it's to forgive someone. Maybe it's to forgive someone. By the way, forgiveness will never make sense. If you could make sense of it, I don't know that it would be forgiveness. It doesn't make sense that God forgave you. 
It doesn't make sense that he'd forgive any of us, but he did. But what Jesus did, did it make sense? It certainly wasn't convenient. The timing, I'm sure he didn't feel like, oh, now's a good time to be crucified. Now's a good time. This is good for me. This works for me. There was nothing about it that made sense. Why did he do it? Because his father said so, period. That's all he needed. Maybe you need to forgive someone. Maybe the thing that God is asking you to do that you haven't done is just simply your ministry. And the truth is this, maybe your ministry is as simple as God keeps putting someone on your heart that he wants you to witness to and you keep justifying all the reasons why you can't. And maybe you think, oh, you know what, I'll, I'll give them a rave card at some point and try to invite them to come to church. Let the pastors do the witnessing to them. When God is just simply saying, just share your story. Just share what I've done and you with them. Because I said so. <laughs> the greatest thing, the greatest miracle that I've ever experienced, by the grace of God, continue to experience and sometimes daily, but certainly weekly get to experience the greatest miracle, an eternal address change of a soul. The word says that we've all sinned and our sin separates us from him. When we accept Jesus and the sacrifice that he made, we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth. That's when we're saved. And in that moment, that is the greatest miracle that could ever happen. A soul destined for eternal separation from God. Not just in hell, but even here on earth, which is sad too. But in a moment, the hope of heaven, but the fulfillment of purpose, and calling that God has for them. And so for some of you, that's your first step. Total access. Come in. Some of you, you've gotten really good at giving a portion of your life to church or a portion of your schedule and time to religious actions, but that is not relationship with God. Relationship with God is complete and total surrender to him as Lord, which means come in and be first in every area of my life, in every area of my life. Until that surrender happens, you won't be able to connect with him. You won't be able to fulfill purpose. You, you won't know what it's like to have life and life to the full until you're willing to say, yeah, here's my heart. All the bad, anything good, I surrender. And I think you have to start there. Let's close your eyes, bow our heads. If you're here today and if you're really honest, you know that you have not done that. You haven't surrendered to him. You haven't given them total access to your life and to your heart. I just wanna give you a chance to do that right now. 
I know the Lord is already speaking to you. The question is, will you respond? The opportunity, this moment, God is faithful. And it isn't to say that you couldn't make this decision at any moment, but why wait? you know this is what he's asking you to do. So if that's you and you're willing to confess, it's me, I'm away from God, I need Jesus in my life and I'm ready to surrender my life to him. Nobody looking around. If that's you, you're willing to be humble and show it. And if you are, just put your hand up right now. As soon as I see your hand, you can put it down. Got it, got it, got it. Yes, sir, thanks, man. Anybody else? I'm away from Jesus, I don't have real relationship with him. I need to come back to him. Got it. Yes, ma'am. Anybody else? Got it, bro. I'm ready to surrender to him. I want him to be my Lord and my Savior. Total access. Got it. I got you. Anybody else? For everybody that just raised your hand, I would strongly encourage you to tell somebody about this decision that you're making and and do it as soon as this service is over. If you've never been water baptized, I encourage you to go public with your faith to water baptism. Right there in your chair, let's just have an honest conversation with God. It doesn't have to sound exactly like what I'm getting ready to say, but, but something like this, just say, God, I know that I'm a sinner and I know my sin separates me from you but also know that you had a plan and your plan was to send your son, Jesus, the perfect sacrifice. And I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. He rose from the grave, defeating my sin, defeating death. And right now I believe that. With as much or as little faith as I can, God, I believe in Jesus. And right now I surrender my life to you, Jesus. Be my Lord. I want you to direct my steps. I wanna live the purpose that you have for me. Would you guide me by the leading of your spirit, the instruction of your word, the support and encouragement of the body of Christ. You have full access. Do what you need to do. Do your will. And I know that by your grace and with your strength and the conviction of who I am in you, that I'll be obedient whenever and whatever you ask of me. Lord, for some of us, that's our prayer right now. We have a relationship with you, but the truth is, is that we have put you in a box in some categories of our life and said, no, I'm okay with God coming into these areas, but there's this one area could be hurt could be bitterness, unforgiveness, jealousy, could be career, could be finances, your family, your calendar. I don't know what it is, but the Holy Spirit is telling you. He's revealing it to you. And I would just encourage you that you make a commitment in your heart and maybe even with your lips right now to say, Jesus, 
whatever you ask me to do, I'm going to do it. Father, I pray that we would be true to that. I thank you, God, for your grace and mercy to show us anything that would keep us from experiencing everything that you are. We need you operating in our lives. We, we need the supernatural presence of God in your fullness, working, active, and moving in our lives. Show us anything that's keeping that from happening. Thank you for that.